the incomparable. Number 574, July 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We took a week off there after talking about Black Widow, but we're back to talk about a little more Marvel. One more Marvel property to get to before it is officially summer, I guess. That's how our calendar works. It's Loki, the just-completed TV series on Disney+. We're going to be talking about it, ins and outs, ups and downs. Uh, you know, you probably should have seen it by now. That's all I'm saying. And But whether you want to be spoiled on it or not, we're going to continue. We're not going to stop for you. Not for the likes of you. Ah, take that. But instead, we're all going to talk about Loki. <laughs> and let me introduce the people who are going to talk about Loki with me on this podcast. Kathy Campbell will speak about Loki. Hello. Hello, Jason. I am Kathy of Oregon, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. It's not a little alligator. It's Aline Sims. Hello. Everybody liked the little alligator better, though. Oh. Yeah. I'm saying you're well, our you're our you're our uh, cult favorite uh, uh, Loki variant. Okay, I'll take it. A little alligator, <laughs> or you know, you'll be a frog Thor if you want. Moises <laughs> Chuyan's also here. Hi, Moises. Jason, the incomparable have built quite the circus, and I see we clowns are playing our parts mm. to perfection. And live from a uh, an apocalyptic Walmart, basically, it's Nathan Alderman. Hello. Hi, uh, I'm wearing my helmet with the giant horns, and man, let me tell you, I'm having the hardest time fitting mm. through doorways. So, uh, Loki is a show about a villain of many, many movies, and there's a real interesting thought about like how do you build a show around a villain, however charismatic you make him. Uh, when I first heard that Loki was going to be a TV series on Disney Plus, I thought, well, first off, well, wait, you killed him, so how are you going to do that? <laughs> um, and second, I thought, is this going to be kind of an anti-hero series where we really get to know Loki? I mean, we know Loki, we we like Loki, he's likable, but he's a bad guy. And and I really thought that it would be more of that. Um, but this show surprised me. On, on many levels, but, you know, just starting with how Loki is used, this is a variant of Loki, obviously, from the alternate timeline created with time travel shenanigans. It's basically, he is he comes uh, into this timeline after losing his battle in the first Avengers movie. Um, and so the rest of the stuff we've seen with Loki, you know, he didn't experience. But it's still sort of the Loki we know. Um, and he goes on a, he goes on a bit of a journey, which I think is really interesting. He goes on a, on, a, on a character journey, and it is about Loki progressing as a as a character, and not just about sort of us enjoying him, watching him be bad. Oh, that Loki, you know, that kind of thing. Which is sort of what I thought <laughs> they might do. Um, so, you know, what what were all your expectations going into to Loki about how they were going to handle this, and how do you build a show around, uh, you know, one of your big uh, one of your big bad guys? I was so excited after watching WandaVision for Loki because I loved WandaVision. And then I saw Falcon and Winter Soldier and I was like, okay, so we've got the range of what they can do and what they should do um, and what they did. Where is Loki going to fit kind of on this scale? Because I did love WandaVision so much. I thought the journey and story and all of that was so incredible. I was like, how can Loki, like, 
it's not going to beat WandaVision for me. Um, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> the whole essence of this show was full of such whimsy and joy, which is not something expected in, you know, apocalyptic end of the world, end of time type stories. But there was so much joy that I could feel in it that it just it it makes me so happy, so happy, even though it's really sad. One of the things I liked most about this show um, is something that that my favorite relatively recent runs of Marvel Comics have done, which is a big swing in terms of the concept. Um, Matt Fraction, David Oz, uh, Hawkeye being a, a great example of this, where there is a there is a big what if question that is posed and the answer to it has interesting ramifications to other things. It's it's kind of the inverse of the mega crossover event, which while enjoyable, and it's not that I hate them, uh, but boy, I could do with less of them. Um, because getting to focus on one or two um, specific pivot characters like this uh, is just so much richer. Uh, we got it from WandaVision and um, and the, the character that's introduced in Loki, whose existence I think is technically still a spoiler to people who haven't watched the show, um, I, I think is, is one of the more entertaining dynamics that we've had in the MCU. And I love that them, quote unquote, playing with TV is taking this form where there is this really, really juicy reason that they wanted to tell this story. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to comparing it to the other shows later. But um, within the confines of this story specifically, I I love that this character who's so beloved within MCU content and who comparatively didn't have that much screen time until he got his own show, um, gets the kind of additional depth and texture that people wanted and that also served the character well and wasn't just an excuse for, oh, let's do a show with this guy. I think the show works as well as it does because Loki is and has been from the beginning, at least in the MCU, a tragic figure and a tragic hero. He's one of the few straight up tragic villains that the MCU has. If you go back and watch the first Thor film, uh, insert your grumblings about the dark world here. It's okay, I'll wait. But if you go back and watch the first Thor film, Loki is the protagonist of the film, and he starts out trying to do the right thing, which is, my brother's an idiot. He's going to ruin everything. I've got to keep him from getting on the throne. Um, and in the process of trying to do that, Loki, thanks to his own insecurities, his own self-loathing, screws everything up and ends up becoming the exact villain he wanted to try to stop and makes his brother into the hero that Loki wanted to become. So from that baseline, Loki's always wanted to be the hero. And a lot of his big villain posturing is just like, you know, well, if I can't be the hero, I'll show you. To see all that come back in the series and be built on and developed was just wonderful. And even though I feel like ultimately the series used all of that as an excuse to be like, and now here's the next big thing happening in the MCU, it still was really well done. And I loved watching it. And I can't wait to see the character come back. I don't know that I had any expectations for it, but I am so glad that it is what it is. It incorporates so many things I love about other properties, like the strong, like retro future vibe. Um, I 
I swear they went and played through Portal 2 like three times. <laughs> and then, you know, we're like, this is definitely kind of the aesthetic and feel we want. Um, and I love that. Everything from, you know, Miss Minutes to <laughs> the their handheld computers to everybody wearing brown. Oh, <laughs> to, you know, like they made so many choices that are not antithetical but they're so different from any other marvel cinematic universe thing Mm -hmm. and they did it so incredibly well that the entire series i'm talking like it's like 75 episodes the entire (laughs) six hours was just a joy and a delight to watch everything from the dialogue to the sets to the costumes to the tech to like all of it was just great and i don't have any quibbles about any of it i liked it all which is pretty unusual for me you know aline something that that makes me think of is um the tva itself is a creation of one of my favorite writers mark grunewald who is also responsible for in the comics turning captain america into a werewolf and loads of other stuff and (laughs) actually is responsible for a bunch of the stuff that's in uh falcon and the winter soldier as well contribute a lot of really just weird ideas that totally work one of them being this incredibly bureaucratic um, uh, office work styled um, organization that controls all of time for some reason uh, that what that reason is, who knows who cares is his answer. Um, it's hilarious. And the, the diversions from the comic source material that are needed for adaptation, uh, something that I, I've said a number of times on a number of different episodes, um, I cheer those. I think those are entirely necessary. It's never going to come directly, exactly right off the page, exactly the way that certain things came off. You know, uh, Owen Wilson doesn't look exactly like the Agent Mobius from the comics. Um, but the the core of these brilliant ideas shine like crazy in this show. Um, because they just, they let them be quirky and weird and, and goofy and silly and, uh, unexplained, uh, and, and are perfectly happy leaving certain things unexplained. Maybe some of them will get explained. Sure. But it feels like they're, they are in no hurry to define and explain what everything is and how everything works and just letting all of that breathe. Speaking of Owen Wilson, I think this is the first thing I've ever liked him in. That's how <laughs> much wow, how wow. on board yeah. I am with with the series. Partially. That's really harsh. I mean, that hurts. Well, that's a real kachow right to the heart, man. But no, I, I, I love Owen Wilson too. And you know, I love his his shaggy or goofier roles, but so I was baking a batch of biscuits the other night. And when you bake biscuits, you have to put them in a pan as close together as possible so that they don't have room to spread out. They can only go up. Owen Wilson in this show, you put him in a, you know, a gray wig, you give him a mustache, you give him a button down suit. You don't let him do any of his weird Owen Wilson-y stuff. And he has to like focus on what the, the remain, it, it reduces uh, down his essential qualities to the, the warmth and the kind of sweetness and laid back rumpled Columbo like charm that he has. And I thought that really was one of the most wonderful aspects of the series. It plays so well against Tom Hiddleston's great big swing Shakespearean scenery chewing to have this laid back guy 
who is in essence Loki's third and most successful father figure after Odin and Thanos. Yeah, I I think um, the other interesting thing about Owen Wilson in this is that his his uh, role is a little bit of a fake out in a, in a good way. Mm. I think that if this was a show that was longer, we would spend more time on this premise, but like the show wants to sell us for the first few episodes that what we're going to end up seeing is a time travel procedural uh, with a sort of Mulder and Scully-esque duo. This guy's not a time cop. This guy's also not a time cop. Yeah, 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 cop. Yeah, yeah. Time cop, not a time cop. They don't solve crimes. Their sexual tension, about the same as Mulder and Scully. Anyway, uh, I think the, uh, I, I, I like, I love the fake out, right? I love that in episode two, you're like, oh, so is this what's going to happen? Is Loki's going to join yes. with Owen Wilson and they're going to solve time crimes? Is that what they're going to do here? And the answer is no. I mean, but that's funny, right? They could have it be that show. And I would enjoy that show. I think that's what I really love about all of these fake outs and all of the problems process of almost each episode being just a little bit of a different story is I would watch an entire series on each of those stories. And that is something that is really special about this because they did make very specific choices for every piece of it. Every part of this, you could tell they knew exactly what they were doing and they <laughs> landed Every single one, because are we, I don't know how spoilery we're getting. Are we doing a spoiler? I, I already said at the front that we're going to talk about it and it's going to be spoiler. So I consider okay. this entire episode a spoiler zone. So okay. I, we'll just say it here. Again, you shouldn't listen to what we're about to say if you want to not be spoiled because we will spoil things for you. Yes. No, just in show. general, you shouldn't listen to what we have to say. Yeah. That's, I yeah. mean, that's yeah. really and, the best way to go. And, and, and Kang well, is at two. the end. Agree. Anyway. Yeah. I would agree. <laughs> There's a um, Kang at the end of this book. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> I would watch. Kang was the sled. <laughs> I want a whole series just on the herd of Lokis that roam around. Yeah. the The end of the world. At the end of time. I, yeah. Yes, I want. I not just for more alligator Loki, but let's be honest that also that that whole thing. Like, if season two of Loki is just how all of the variants get into the positions and the outfits and the situations that they're in, I'm all like, yes, please. I would love that. Nothing impresses me more than than a show or a even, you know, sorry for saying this, but like even a collection of intellectual property and strategy for a massive media juggernaut, right? Uh, saying, we have so many ideas and we have so much story that we're just going to toss off stuff and, and not even do it because we've got better ideas than that. And so yeah. the time, the co- time cop, not a time cop, like that is a show. Like you could do a sci-fi series uh, with that as the premise. And Loki's like, yeah, we could do that, but that's not why we're here. We're here about Loki and we're here about why the TVA exists. And like, we, we have all of these other reasons to be here. So we could do that, but we won't. And like, I, I love the, uh, so Michael Waldron wrote this uh, series, and um, he's—it's so confident. Like he knows where he's going. Yes. He's gonna—he's gonna take you down things that seem like digressions, but they're not digressions. And uh, we talked about this with Wandavision, and I felt it really strongly with Loki. 
also it knows that it's an episodic series mm-hmm. and every episode is the episode where this happens and i love that it doesn't yes. it, it the story continues but it doesn't fuzz together into one six part movie like uh- and mm-hmm. every episode is an episode where it, it with with its own kind of personality and reason for being and driving the story forward. And I don't want to divert us too hard into this direction, but to tag right off of what you were just saying, that's very much how Falcon and the Winter Soldier ended up feeling like for me was the opposite of this, where it was a six episode yeah. long movie. I think it was their yeah. first shot at it and they decided to not mess with the, the formula and they made the most sort of generic Marvel movie like piece of entertainment that you could and then and, and they also the pandemic that kind of screwed things up and I, I'll accept that I didn't enjoy that show sure. I know some people do but but yeah I think that that you really see the progression where that one was like let's just be as straight up like a Marvel movie as possible whereas you look at WandaVision and Loki and you're like what what <laughs> yeah. yes I mean it, it is it, the, the, the elements of, of Tom King Gabriel Walta's The Vision miniseries that WandaVision borrowed from uh, yeah, sure. But the, the the thing that I compare the two of them to the most is just the style of confident, limited run storytelling yeah. yep. and yeah. being totally, totally uh, confident on their feet. Uh, and Loki is every bit as confident as WandaVision is in its storytelling. And there is not a single every little thing. There were all kinds of rabbit holes that I wanted to go down going, wait, are they setting this? Oh, well, no, they're just. No, they're nope. just they're just chopping that off the end and throwing it on the floor. It's that yeah. confidence of like we'll just toss this off and 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 using I will say using the episodes as a way to do their misdirection. Where yes. at the end of every episode you think you know where it's going and you think you now are settled in for what the show is going to be and the show will never follow up on that. It will always go somewhere else in the next episode and it uses you, the you, episodic <laughs> format against you. And it's conceptually yes brilliant because i mean this is a show about a trickster this is a show about right. a shapeshifter so it's it makes right. sense it's that in the opening credits people the font yeah. 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 Hey, uh, mr sell mr snell uh you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna build a show that uh, we're gonna write a classic loki cameo around richard e grant and use him for 15 minutes and that's all we're gonna yeah. do but it's gonna be and, in that episode but it's gonna be the greatest 15 minutes right <laughs> I just wanted to say, um, if none of y'all have tuned in to uh, the sister podcast, I Want My MCU TV, to hear Lisa Schmeiser, one of the most intelligent, cogent, serious people I have ever had the pleasure of being on a podcast with, absolutely lose her mind over Alligator Loki, yeah. you are missing out. I'll, I'll, I'll give amazing. a plug here for fans of, of uh, stuff like Loki. There are two podcasts on The Incomparable you should probably listen to, I Want My MCU TV, and Biff, both of which talk about these Marvel shows and a whole bunch of other stuff in the case of Biff. Uh, and you should check them out because yeah, it, it is. Um, yeah. You go from episode to episode and it keeps changing and you never know what you're going to get next. But, but Michael Waldron as the writer knows where, knows what story he wants to tell, but he has, it's like, I mean, in a show about parallel universes and variant timelines and things like that, it's as if he is himself, imagining all the variant versions of this show that could exist and he shows them to us but that's not the point so he just moves on and so as much as time cop not a time cop sounds fun as much as episode three which is maybe my favorite episode of a tv show in the last five years um wow. lamentous uh well is is like 
the biggest budget episode of Doctor Who ever. It, yeah, <laughs> and, it is. And, and it's yeah. like he's saying, yeah, I could do Doctor Who. I could do Doctor Who. Now we're done. That's it. You go. You get the we're one just, episode. That's all. We're done. Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? You're going to get a an incredibly good side of Doctor Who, but that's not that's, even the meal. It's not why we're here, right? We're we're here to watch essentially Loki and uh and other Loki type Sylvie. people, Sylvie. Loki and Sylvie. <laughs> yes. Uh, walk through <laughs> all of these other stories to to do what they want to do, and so they're just going to walk through all these interesting premises on their way to their their destination at the end of time. Which is kind of cool. Like if you think about uh, like a traditional writer's room and bouncing ideas off of each other. And I'm just visioning or just envisioning these like giant, um, I don't know, like mood boards or mm-hmm. or mind mapping stuff. And like instead of calling and saying, oh, yeah, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. They're like, yeah, we'll just bring all this in. It's fine. Everything. Well, it's just like this this soup of of ideas that they're just kind of um, brewing. It's a witch's brew of, of ideas that just kind of comes together really mm-hmm. better than you would expect. Yeah. And they do all this without ignoring or trashing anything that came before. All of Loki's characterization, it's completely consistent from his first appearance through the Avengers, the Dark World, um, Ragnarok, everything. It's all building on that foundation and going to the next logical place for the character. And I love that. I, I've, I've always liked Loki. I feel like he and Tony Stark are the characters with the greatest psychological depth in the MCU. And this show doesn't forget that. And it plays to that. It, it does more than just the easy, well, I was a villain, but now I'm a good guy thing. They actually make him work for it. And you see the process he goes through to become a better person. And you see him addressing the issue that made him a villain in the first place, his sense of inferiority and self-loathing. Yeah. You know, he's not a narcissist, like people say. He hates himself. And this show knows it and focuses on how he learns That's to love himself. That's literally one of the head fakes, right? Is the, yeah. is, is in the cop, time cop, not a time cop, is in a, uh, in a show with that premise, he would go the very brief, amount of self-realization he goes in episode one and say all right well now i'm a time cop and uh, i'm good now <laughs> right and it's like well, okay everybody buy this premise because we're gonna watch tom hiddleston for a while being a time cop and it's great and this show's like nope that's not it and you're gonna work on it some more and and that's uh, so it's a show called loki and it isn't just about loki and there is that amazing moment where sophia DiMartino as sylvie looks at him when when she's revealed and she's like this isn't about you but it is also <laughs> about him but like the idea that he has to be broken down, he has that long conversation with Owen Wilson uh, about like where they really finally get to it about like why Loki feels the way he does and what he's doing. But he he also has to be confronted with himself. And yeah. in in Sylvie, he's confronted with himself. Then he also is confronted with his future, you know, that didn't happen to him, but that happened to the Loki that we saw. And then he's ultimately confronted also by all of his alternates. And it leads to that point in the last episode where he and Sylvie have to decide what they want to do at the end of time. And they make different decisions. And it's an interesting case where like, we're like, oh, good, Sylvie's here. She can teach him a thing or two about who he is. And she does. But she still does the thing right, that she wants but, to do, and he yeah. doesn't. And, and it's like the, the, it, this whole show is ultimately about how could you 
really believe that Loki has progressed as a character. It can't be easy because he's lied too many times, and then it takes you through it. And by the end, I, I, it's a, quite a magic trick because by the end, uh, in that moment, at the end of time, you can tell this is, Loki is not who he was at the start. Yes. And I love that it kind of confirms what we see in our primary Loki through like Thor Ragnarok and into Endgame um, in that it is, I think it's humanity's ability to change. I mean, he's a God, he's not a human yet, yet, but like having the capacity to change and how hard one that is sometimes is confirmed in both of these things. And I like that it reinforces it for this character, like, because you always have this, or at least I do this question in the back of my mind as I'm watching these movies about Loki. And in the end, had he really changed or was he just trying like, you know, he changes with the wind and had he fundamentally changed for the better or not. And I think that this is kind of a, a point in the column of like, yeah, maybe that was a, he was actually changed. Maybe he wasn't trying to to play some kind of an elaborate scheme <laughs> at the end mm. of things, you know? Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Um, we know that he has... He's not just the trickster god. He has a conscience. He has um, he has depth. And I really love how the show reinforces that. Yeah, he the show leans a lot on what he says when he shows up in the Avengers. I come to you burdened with glorious purpose. Uh, and that phrase keeps repeating. But think about what that means. I mean, Joss Whedon just wrote it as like a cool thing for a villain to say, I'm sure. But I come to you burdened with glorious purpose. I have to do this thing. It's big and it's important and I don't want to do it. It's a big responsibility that I don't want and I'm doing it because I have to and I resent that. That's what this show is about. It's about him putting down that burden, putting down that glorious purpose and just trying to do something for somebody else. And and I love that. Uh, I love that progression. I love that we see that. I love that it's earned. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks around, featuring bestsellers, new releases, and everything in between, as well as thousands of binge-worthy podcasts all in one place. Now, as an Audible member, you get one credit every month. Spend it on any title in their entire premium selection, and those books are yours to keep forever in your Audible library. Whether you're wanting to pick up a new novel everyone is talking about or finally tick off that bucket list title, if you don't have anything you're looking for this month, great news, the credits roll over for up to a year. So if you don't want to read a book this month, well, do two next month. Binge that next series whenever you get the time. As an Audible member, you also get access to the Plus Catalog. This is additional content, thousands of hours of audio entertainment, guided meditation, ad-free podcasts, a whole selection of exclusive series included in your membership for you to listen to whenever you like. So you can download books and listen offline at any time in the Audible app. No matter where you are or what you're doing, you can always pick up right where you left off, Audible wants me to recommend some books to you now. And so I'm going to recommend The Witness for the Dead by Catherine Addison. It is set in the same world as The Goblin Emperor, which is a book I absolutely adore. But if you haven't read The Goblin Emperor, you could still read it. You're going to get it. It's kind of like a in a fantasy world, but it's a murder mystery. And the main character is kind of a private public detective person. 
it's really great. I enjoyed it. I read that on the beach on my vacation, and I loved every minute of it. So check that out. It's available on Audible. You should check it out. Whether you're looking for something to entertain you while working from home, on a car ride, going to the gym, going for a run, whatever. Audible is right there. Thousands of books to choose from, including the one I just told you about. Go and check it out yourself. And as a new member, you can try out Audible for 30 days. Go to audible.com slash Snell, my last name, or text Snell to 500-500 to get started. That's audible.com slash Snell or text Snell 500-500. Thank you to Audible for supporting The Incomparable. Let's talk about Sylvie. Let's talk about Sophia DiMartino. Um really fun performance for a while. You're like quite kind of not sure what her story is. We do eventually get her story. The idea that she is um, taken out of Asgard so early on in her life. And, and then she spends all of her time in apocalypses, which is one of my favorite. That is the, it is a very doctor who thing. It is like, uh, the idea that Stephen Moffat is kicking himself that he never had, because it feels very much like that, which is where's the one place where the time cops will never find you, and it's at the end of the world where nobody's going to survive it, so you can never you can never make changes that affect the timeline. And that's where she grows up, and that's where she lives, on the run in places surrounded by doomed people, and then escaping just before uh, it, it all goes kablooey, and then she moves on to the next... <laughs> Uh, timeline that's also disastrous uh such a fascinating um and, and so she's out for revenge because the tva ruined her life and she didn't get to have the childhood that that loki our loki did um just fascinating character and again i said this in the, our previous episode about black widow where the way that natasha's sister is portrayed i got to the end of the movie and it was only at the end of the movie where I, was, where I said, oh, oh, yeah, she could be like the new Black Widow. I get it. But I didn't feel like I had been sold it as a as mm. a, you know, a, a structural arm of the franchise building going on. And that's yeah. how I felt about Sylvie. You could argue it's like, well, we kind of need a new Loki character because we can't keep Hiddleston around. We'll introduce Lady Loki and, and we'll have her around. It's like I never thought that about Sylvie. And I, the the thing for me is that they there has been rampant speculation since her introduction. Is she actually the enchantress and not a variant of Loki? And she says in dialogue, "I'm not you." And Michael Waldron knew that that means it means two very different things, yep. and he wanted it to mean two very different things in terms of speculation and leaving things open to seeing what direction they go like the I am Iron Man reveal spoilers for Iron Man movie from 2008. (laughs) Um, I I just love, I love that they are willing to go. Yeah. We're basing this on a bunch of stuff, but we are also going to play fast and loose with so many things. The, the, I appreciate the fans look at the source material and try to use it to figure out what's going to happen in the shows and the movies. That's fine. But the truth is, good luck with that. <laughs> but the truth is, yeah, the truth is that what makes the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff great is that they've got this rich set of stories, often conflicting stories and characters that they can 
uses raw material and 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 yet be right. free to tell the story that they want to tell and and you definitely see that in Loki where yeah there's a lot of call outs to things from the comics but you know the TVA here is what they want the TVA to be and and Sylvie is who they want her to be and I I love that and and you know they use names like Ravana Renslayer as a name from the comics and all that but it's like if you're looking into those characters for proof of what they're going to represent like just you're wasting your time, I think, um, because it's really just a jumping off point for a new set of stories being told in this in this format. What I really love about that is the fact that I don't feel left out yeah. by not reading the comics. Yep. It, it embraces that story yep. that, hey, yes, you can talk to somebody who's going to tell you all about the Enchantress and who she is and what she does and the however many... Uh, comic books about her but really that almost doesn't matter matter. because you have no idea what is going to happen and i love that and is it just me or do we think that like jody whitaker is watching this and like sitting up straight or looking at the tv like wait a minute a young woman with short cropped blonde hair and a northern english accent traveling through time hang on it is impossible to think that uh that they didn't know that there were doctor who references all over this and that anybody who worked on doctor who watched this and went hey wait a second because it is a i think a loving homage at several points to doctor who most especially in that third episode um the rock quarry. I mean, there's a quarry, people. Look, they, <laughs> they, they went in a quarry. What what hey. more reference do you need? Now, Jason, don't leave out the hallways. They're, I'm sorry, corridors. Mm-hmm. There are lots and lots <laughs> of corridors. And they're lit, lit, lit differently, and you run through them. Uh, okay, let's talk about the TVA uh, staff, if if you want to call it that, because there are a set of characters there. We talked about Owen Wilson a little bit as Mobius. He's just got jet ski magazines, and uh, you know, one of these days he's going to be on a jet ski. But we also have Hunter B-15, who's Wunmi Mosaku. We have uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, from Doctor Who, by the way, as Ravonna Renslayer. And uh, our buddy Eugene Cordero is Pillboy! Casey the Receptionist. <laughs> uh, not used Yay! as much as I hoped, although his voice does appear in the in the last episode, like he's been rebooted as a as a hunter, can Eugene Cordero ever be I, used? No, enough? no, but he's all, he's really kind of in the first couple episodes, and then he disappears. Anyway, th- this is the you know the bureaucracy. This is another show that they didn't make this, which is the <laughs> Office, but with time travel. Oh, uh, but that's... I want that show. <laughs> the Infinity Sh- Stone shenanigans alone are just. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, can, here's no. a drawer full of them. Just. Can... <laughs> I just want to talk real quick about the introduction to the TVA and Loki's journey from ah, yes. beginning to end. That I through the bureaucracy, the time oh bureaucracy. Gosh. If you were a robot, it'd melt you from the inside. Very, yeah. Please step through. A moment of genuine doubt when he's not sure whether he's a robot or <laughs> it's not. It's a very and then, a very Brazil a little bit. Like there are yeah. a lot of references going on there. There's a lot of Brazil going on. There's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for sure going on there. Like this is the they DMV. are trying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the and, part. Oh. and the DMV. <laughs> Of course. Please sign uh, every word that you've ever said. And it, it's like he's talking to a Vogon. Yeah. And then and then we have this whole thing going back to the, the robot melting from the inside. And we get a couple episodes later and the Time Lords are robots and we don't know what's going on. The time, How did time they get keepers, in that room? Time Keepers. Yeah, the Time Keepers. Legally sorry. distinct from the Time Lords. They're legally the time yeah, distinct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and all apparently voiced by Jonathan yes. Majors. Yes. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, and based on him a little bit. 
too because they wanted mm. to set they wanted to 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 mm. have that kind of lead in so I'm going to use the TVA as a way in to talk about things that we often lean leave out or leave till the very end of our discussions of movies and TV shows but I'm going to mention it here one of them is art direction yeah. this is oh, the God. most oh. beautifully well, okay, art direction and cinematography. It is the most beautifully shot and beautifully art directed. Uh, the, the the sets, the the backgrounds that are done by the VFX team, the the way that it's shot, the look of the whole thing. It is the most beautiful TV show I think maybe I've ever seen. And I want to call that. And 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 specifically, I want to call out Lamentis, the Purple Planet, and I want to call out all oh. of the TVA offices, mm-hmm. which are this incredible. Um, we we've mentioned a bunch of different references. I'm going to throw Max Headroom into the mix too. That was yeah. if you remember, nobody remembers Max Headroom anymore. But like they 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 typed on computer terminals where their keyboards were manual typewriters. Like it, it, everybody drove Studebakers. It was like the future, but also the past. And that's what the TVA gives me is that same kind of vibe of like it's so weird and so interesting. And then the third leg of this stool of of uh, brilliant production stuff in the in the show is the music by Natalie yep. Holt oh, which is basically the, my favorite TV music yeah. of the last 5 or 10 years too so just tech it's theremin yeah, technically alone like, story and characters aside technically this is one of the best TV shows I've ever seen uh and on top of that technical it, stuff is the costumes Throw it, throw it in there, yeah. Let's let's you know it that visual that essence of the show is you know all of that too, and I love and the um, Sylvie costume how they specifically made it so that she could nurse and pump without having to take off her entire costume. The fact that it's news and so like whoa, what a great thing makes me very sad because it should just be something that. Duh. Like if your one of your characters needs to nurse, just have a costume that works. But I like that key part of detail and the pieces of all of the hunters and how you can tell the difference between the hunters and the Minutemen with all these individuality pieces that are still almost robotic but not really so like they're not stormtroopers they're not in the exact same costumes Mm -hmm. but they still have that army feel and you know looking at their costume who they are it would take too long to explain uh the gig that i've been on that makes me think about all of the intricate production details the way that i do but the thing that strikes me the most is how simple and um, and at once, uh, very intentionally designed. All of the elements of uh, of these different costumes are where there there is a simplicity to this the suit and tie and the jacket um, that that the uh, that the agents have the um, the uh, the the stick wielding pruners. Um, they have a vibe to them, and they didn't have to spend a billion dollars. To make them look a certain way, mm-hmm. they spent exactly what they needed to to make them look exactly that way. Yep. Um, they didn't go, you know what? We are going to sell toys of this. So let's right. make it as distinct as, say, a stormtrooper. They just went with what was going to fit the overall harmonious theme of everything the best. And that's why everything hangs together so well in this show, is that everything feels like it is part of the same fabric of the same cloth that it's supposed to be of. The yes. Ren Faire feels oh like a Ren Faire. Oh my gosh. Yes. 
Except so for the chastising people for not being in costume. I just want to say, as person as a person who goes to run fairs, that doesn't actually happen. You can yes. go in your regular clothes. It's okay. Um, you can. Please go. Some, sometimes the there are terrible people are that there, do that. Right? But you should yeah, dress but those up people are in, terrible. in Star Trek costumes and pretend that you're on an away team mission. That's what yeah. you should I do. I have seen that yep. and I think it's hilarious I recommend every it. time. Uh, also, I want to shout out to Kate Heron, who is the director, because obviously I think from her vision came a yes. lot of the particular look of this. She does a great job, directed the whole series. And, and just again, uh, we mentioned it in passing there, but like the the music... The, the the instrumental choices, the theremin, yes, Nathan, uh, that Natalie Holt chooses here. Uh, she apparently worked back from the climax, which she scored first, so that she would have like her themes Brilliant. that she could then back out. Um, we we did a a thing about soundtracks, and we talked about how few women uh, are working in as composers in films. And I'll just say, uh, hey, films. <laughs> Hire Natalie Holt. She's amazing. Hey, and and hey, how you doing, films? Uh, she's amazing. Uh, the the texture of this from things that are a little more standard. If you listen the the soundtracks of 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 the whole Loki, there are two at one through three and four through six that are available now on streaming. You can go listen to the soundtrack. She does some more traditional movie music. She does the super weird with the kind of like the the pulsation of of like a, an electronic rhythm and then the the weird theremin and some other electronic stuff that's really great. There's a moment that is invoking Asgard where it's Ride of the Valkyries comes in. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's so good. So um, just another shout out, Films, call Natalie Holt. You got her number, uh, right? Films? Yeah. And Films, films call Kate Heron. Too. Call hate Kate Heron, for sure. Yeah. Autumn Dural Darkapaw, the uh, the cinematographer, just got picked to uh, to be the new cinematographer of the Black Panther scene because yes. the original cinematographer had to drop out. And yeah, it's it's astonishing. All these people are so good at their jobs. I can't believe I this is the first time yeah. I've, I've heard of any and of this them. Is, I think this is an example, too, of Marvel viewing this Disney plus thing where they're now making in addition to all the movies they were making, then a, a huge amount of content for Disney plus the, the amount of hours of output on Marvel's part in a year, probably, I don't know. What do you think? Tripled quadrupled? Like it's, yeah. it, it's an enormous amount of extra material and Marvel yeah. has chosen to use some people who I think it's a good example of their like being good, having a good eye for talent and being like, I've had my eye on this person and they're really good, but I don't know if we were going to hang a, a big, you know, blockbuster on them, but we could try them out on this TV show instead because, because, um, like was just previously said, these are not all, all people I've heard of before, but this is, a, it feels like a star making piece of work yeah. for so yeah. many people. Let me, take a, let me take us back to the comics once again. When when I say I wish they would do stuff more like the comics, I don't mean I wish they would take it directly off the page and make it look exactly the way that it did in 1963. I mean that they should be doing it like this, where they are trusting interesting creative teams with a particular voice and a very definitive yeah. vibe that they like the, the people who pitch the best they are making these shows more of a sandbox where they can go higher concept weirder stranger sillier at different points and just let them go in different directions than necessarily you would in a movie that has a budget many many times the multiple of what this show costs and sure it was an expensive show so i i'm sure it was i read a story that kate heron is not going to direct the second season of loki and and i i thought to myself well that's too bad and then i thought to myself well that's 
almost certainly because she's gotten a really good gig <laughs> yes. that hasn't been announced yet. Because and I am so excited mm-hmm. for right? it. That's that's a that's probably a feature I would think with a lot of <laughs> money behind it. So. Yeah, like they they have a Loki shaped train already out of the station, and they they can they can pass off to a different conductor while Kate it's Heron true. goes and, and knocks yeah. something. In else fact, up there's apart. a great legacy of of TV shows having directors come in and set the set the look, and then they don't have to be there after that necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a, a star making uh, part for for the director and the composer and the cinematographer and all sorts of yeah. people, and it, and Which, that's really good. Can I? I, I want to uh, not to bring us down a little bit because we're all raving about this. I love this show so much. Uh, if I have a complaint about it, it's that there do seem to be some loose threads, and I I think maybe they were purposeful, or maybe it's because they were so ambitious that they got really great performers in what are you know what were sort of written as side parts. So Ravana Renslayer is set up as this she's like a judge but also Owen Wilson's kind of boss and she's she's kind of it feels like she's kind of there just to get in the way dramatically early on but you know like the chief in a in the cop not a cop time cop not a cop she's the chief it's like he gets results you stupid chief and she's like no nah, but I need to right I'm going to call Owen Wilson into my office and all that she's an impediment to him in a bunch of ways interesting performance good actress um and, and the fact that at the end of the last episode, she sort of steps through a time door to parts unknown because we don't really kind of know what her, where she sits uh, about all of this. Maybe pro Kang, but we don't really know. Like, I think what, I think what I, what I like about it is that because, because they say there's a second season, it's the, the, the thing about this that really, I, I think changed my mood about the last episode knowing that there was a second season because it felt like they had left a bunch of things sitting on the table. And then they said, oh, we know. We know they're on the table. We will pick them up later. And I felt a lot better about it. And Ravana Renslayer is a great example of that because I feel like she was more uh, plot impediment and then kind of set up for something that doesn't pay off. And it's only the fact that I feel like at the end, it's the show saying, yeah, she'll be back. I, I have a different headcanon about this. And that is that... Ravana Renslayer, the the background from the comics, I, I think all along they intended to do more with her, but just in terms of the, the show in general, I think there was maybe a smaller version of the show that they were like, look, we need it to get from point A to point B and accomplish items one through seven on this list. Give us that. That was given. And then they went, okay, we like this. How about you go a little crazier and leave some stuff untied up and we give you a second season Mm. and, and, and go in knowing that we're going to do another season of this and we're just going to set it up as if, you know, to, to the viewing public, this is, this is what the plan is. Cause I cannot possibly see them putting this into production without the plan to do the second season already being NDA'd all over the place with everybody. I assume that that at some point before they started going here, they they knew this was going to be uh, returning for a second season and they just wanted to play dumb and not tell people and have it be a shock. Yeah. Well, but, especially because the first two series that came out are miniseries. Were very much, yeah, very much this is the end. Right. Like there's no future future part. Follow and- their adventures in the movie Doctor Strange 2. Yeah, exactly. Right. But this this was like, well, are they doing that with Loki too? And then you get to that last episode. Um and it does really change my my opinion of the whole uh progress of the season because 
I realize, oh, Ravana Renslayer, like her stepping into a portal isn't like, maybe you'll see her again someday in a film. Right. Uh, but it's like, no, she'll be back. Like uh, 100B15, Ravana Renslayer, uh, Casey, maybe, Miss Minutes, like they'll be back. Yeah. And Owen Wilson, right? And it's going to be different and weird and who knows what it'll be. But like, we're not done telling the stories of these people. And in the case of uh, Renslayer, especially, I feel like that's extra good because it's a it's a good actress who seems like she's going to be super important early on and then kind of isn't in the end, yeah. right? I, I love the way Renslayer is set up conceptually. I mean, first of all, it is diabolical to cast Gugu Mbatha-Raw with her huge mm-hmm. empathetic eyes and, you know, you innately sympathize with her every moment she's on screen and then have her turn out to be the bad guy. And second, it is brilliant to have in a series where Loki is your protagonist, the main antagonist turned out to be someone who is fanatically devoted to order as opposed to Loki's chaos and who is really bad at lying. (laughs) Every time she lies, it's blatantly obvious. And I love that. But she's still bad. Yeah, I just it's just it's funny. She's she's set up to be like the antagonist of the piece. And then and then she's sort of not. But but in the knowledge that she probably is for the yeah. show as a whole because there's going to be more of the show I'm, I'm i'm willing to accept that a little bit more but it was just it was something that was bugging me while i was watching it that i kept waiting for there to be more of her and there was not really ever more of her yeah yeah i i kept looking at you know oh there are only six episodes and we're on episode what and is this going to be lost what am i going to be mad at the end of this well there's a hatch um, and a smoke yeah, yeah. No. oh so, lost is definitely on their list i think that i think that michael waldron actually said lost was one of their prime inspirations for the show so <laughs> well let's hope not in always because i want answers <clears throat> you know? yes they were inspired to do better than it okay i like that i like that I wanted to just praise uh, the two Lovecraft Country alumni on the show. Uh, Wunmu yep. Masaku brings so such good. toughness and ferocity, but also such sweetness and vulnerability yes. to her part. And then, I mean, Jonathan Majors. Yep. I mean, you watch Lovecraft Country and Jonathan Majors is like the square-jawed, all-American hero. And to see him here just going weird yep. as all get out was Okay, amazing. so let's, let's talk about the last episode. Because in yes. the end, one uh, another really risky strange decision story-wise is to wait until episode six and you're like who are they meeting at the end who is behind this who has been manipulating time all this all this time and to say it's a character you haven't seen before right is pretty far out there right dramatically you're like well wait a second why but what we get is he who remains who is jonathan majors who we already know has been cast as kang the conqueror in the Ant-Man movie, I want to say, the third Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. Ant-Man was Quantumania. So uh, we know that he's already there, but here he is. Nobody said that he was going to be in it, but he's in it. He chews the scenery and delightfully for Mm. the better part of episode six. He is the last, he he is an infinitely old uh, guy who is, who has sort of like come out on top by manipulating the TVA to essentially snip all the other timelines so that the timeline where he is sitting there as the winner at the end of time is the only timeline, which is fascinating on so many levels. The idea that the reason there's a one true timeline is because the guy at the end of time who won 
likes how it turned out. <laughs> and it's right. like, it's such a great idea, but also his kind of acceptance that this is how it goes. And like, it, he reaches that moment of like, oh, it reminded me of the um, the Hulu TV show Devs, right? Where there's a moment beyond <laughs> which he doesn't know what will happen. And he's like, ah, oh, all right, now now we get to see about your free will. And then you get that free will argument, which is, what do we want to do with this guy? Uh, Loki seems to sort of be interested in what he has to say a- a- about about order versus chaos. And Sylvie, if you use him as the personification of the TVA, which has ruined her life, but also it's that free will argument, right? Which is, um, things are great, but there's no free will, or you can exercise free will and things will be awful and chaotic. And... Um, in the end, Sylvie's like, well, I know which one I'm picking <laughs> and that's, but I like, what a, what a moment to, to lead Loki and Sylvie up to and to have this weirdo in an elevator who takes him to the, his office at the end of time. What a strange way to end. And yet it's, it's, I, I mean, I could quibble about his little holograms on his desk where he's telling all the backstory. It's, it's about as good as that can be, but there's a lot of downloading. Uh, but I yeah. think we, I think it, I think it sneaks by because Jonathan Majors is just so good. So good. It's weird that it, it kind of turns into a three person stage play yeah. for much of the final act. It's like, it's like the end of Ang Lee's Hulk where it's uh, Nick Nolte and Eric Bana talking in a dark room until Nick Nolte chews on a power cable, except in this case, it's actually dramatically successful and works. Yeah. Uh, uh, any other thoughts about uh, Jonathan Majors? Like, it's he's not playing Kang, right? He's playing like the guy who knows how bad King. he knows how bad Kang can be, but he and he defeated all of his alternates and got to win. Um, but he's also the warning label, right? Which is well, like, if, well, or if I, did he? Or did he? Or did he's he? Just the one who was left was left at the end. Yes, the well, one who remained. Yeah. Well, he's the one <laughs> left standing, sort of, right? But. Uh, like again, you could view this as a shameless setup for future Marvel movies, but I feel like they earned it in in the end that he's he's a different guy. He's this he's not that guy, he's this other guy, but he's warning you like the bad guy's coming. You know, right? Yes. He's he's coming if you get rid of me. And you you may not like what that does to the universe. So uh spoilers for this season on Marvel phase four. Uh, it's not going to go well. And <laughs> what you, you got to have you a could, you got to have a bad guy. You got to have antagonists. Could, you could choose not to kill me, and everything will be fine. Uh, or well, you kill me, and a bunch of weird stuff happens, and you make billions of dollars on movies. Wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As as somebody who digs Kang as an antagonist in Avengers comics and everything, and loves multiverse stories that are told well. I, I love the way that they are setting the table with this. And I love his weirdo Wizard of Oz BS well, yeah, and that's, <laughs> in this that, episode. That's clearly right? the reference, right? That clearly the reference is the Wizard of Oz that they're trying to do there. He is the man behind the curtain. The timekeepers are the great and powerful Oz. He's the man behind the curtain. And I just, what a great way, again, like Doctor Who with the Time Lords, the idea is that if you have complete control over time, you're really boring because nothing interesting can happen because you're going to keep it locked down. And that's why I love the free will argument so much because, you know, that's ultimately that's what it is. It's like, well, I appreciate that you have everything in order, but it's super boring and nobody has free will. And and, and also this is the <laughs> argument that dictators make yeah. is, yeah, everybody I, prefers it this way. I t- I'll take care of you. And, and you know, mm-hmm. Sylvie's not into that. I'll be like a, a, an older sibling, case. let's say a, 
big brother? Yeah. <laughs> and in this case, history is literally being written by the yes. winner. And he says, you know, everything works out great, except for Sylvie, it literally no. has not. No. So she has every reason, even though it's it's probably the wrong choice for the well-being of everyone to kill him, she has every reason to. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to blame her for what she does. In fact, I, as I recall when I was watching it, and and she's like, uh, by Loki, and then stabs him. I'm like, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> like, I mean, like, again, I know what the consequences are, but if you think about it, first off, from Sylvie's perspective, yes, he is responsible for her terrible life. Um, but second, I don't know, the smiling guy who's in charge of everything, who's hiding at the end of time, and is is has caused this whole bureaucracy that sends out hunters to evaporate timelines and teleport people to a kind of a hell that's near the end of time. Like, do we really think what he says is what we should do? Like, I don't know. Right. Not not I don't know. I don't know, Loki. I think maybe you got taken in by by Mr. Smiling Guy. And uh Sylvie is probably doing the right thing there. <laughs> Well, and to the fact that Lo- it says so much about Loki's growth by the fact that he did get taken in by that, because I think Loki yeah. from the movies would have been like, <laughs> no, and that shows his growth. And it was so believable that whole journey. This was a perfect example. Loki ends up learning the lesson that Thor learns at the end of the first Thor movie. I'm sorry. I'm talking way too much about the first Thor movie, but you give up what you love to protect the people you care about to do what's right. And, and he does that. He, he knows that he's going to drive a wedge between him and Sylvie, this person who he actually genuinely loves. Um, but he's doing it because he's trying to think of the greater good for a change. And, uh, and she stabs uh, he who remains because she's at the same point in her life that Loki was earlier if you go back and watch him in the earlier movies, he's really bad at the concept of enough when he's in his you know manic villain phase. He keeps getting what he wants over and over and it never satisfies him, um, but he keeps doing it anyway. There's a great line here where, you know, they're, they're sitting at the end of time and, and Sylvie says, you know, I bet if, if we kill whoever's in charge of this, then uh, there's a, a kingdom waiting for you. And Loki just says, yeah, because, you know, that would really make me happy, wouldn't it? And it's just like, oh, galaxy brain moment. He's gotten it, folks. And, and Sylvie clearly hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that that is what ends up driving them apart. So we should talk about the Loki-Sylvie relationship. There's a moment when they're on Lamentis, when they're sitting by the pond or whatever, and they they have a moment, and it's a it, you're like, ooh, what's going on between these two? Aren't they the same person? But still, you know, it's Loki. Like maybe it doesn't matter. Um, is, is self love? You know, it's is the most sincere kind. Uh, whoa, whoa, Jason, this is a clean podcast. But but I'm just saying, Loki, Loki and Sylvia, are, are, if they're the same, then they if they love each other, then they love themselves. It's fine. It's positive. It's positive. Moises, it's okay. Uh, I, I retract. It, my, I retract my. It's every, my uh, censorious. Everybody uh, should feel positive about themselves. However, in that moment, um, that's when the things, the little time graph thingies, go crazy back at uh, TVA HQ, which. I feel like is a, a, a maybe a, a it'll a, make you go blind. I, I think it's a I think it's a moment that maybe a lot of the internet analyzers <laughs> didn't really get, which is that that's the moment of like what the one thing that could make them change the universe that happens is that the two of them realize that they're a pair, 
and that they go, yeah. they work well together and they go together. And then it culminates in them having a kiss right before she throws him through a time door and stabs <laughs> he <who laughs> remains. And uh, I was a little surprised because I always have in the back of my head kind of not every uh, male and female lead in a show who are uh, have some chemistry need to have a a uh, a romance plot. On the other hand, I was like, yeah, but so what did what did you all think of the Loki Sylvie relationship? Look, if Loki's gonna fall in love with anybody, it's gonna be. Loki. An almost exact version of himself. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, that's, that's it. hundred percent. And like you said, the chemistry is off the chain. True. It's amazing. And I love that they, this really is Loki's first love interest, right? I, I haven't seen. Yeah. In, in the movies. In yeah. the movies. Yeah, yeah. In, the movies. In, in all the MCU stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like it. Like Lean said, it makes sense that this, the first person that he loves other than himself is himself. And of course, you know, you could get into deep, like concentrated thoughts on what the variants, who they are and what soul, a purpose and, and all of that. But they're both consenting adults of some sort. And uh, are gods like what level? What it doesn't matter. The age of consent is is they're good. They're here. They're ready to like really love each other. And um, I was waiting for I, a rhyme there, uh, but it's fine. I know. It's I, 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 Blank I failed. Verse. I, I'm, I'm very tired. You know, we'll we'll make it up. So someone tweet me with a better rhyme <laughs> than the random thing that came out of my mouth. <laughs> I just, I mean, Loki hates himself. Loki is literally the monster that he was scared of as a child. And, you know, all the bad decisions he makes springs from this boundless. He, he's like the Bojack Horseman. He's Bojack Horseman crossed with Wiley e. Coyote. He's got this boundless well of self-loathing that drives every bad decision he makes. And every plan that he temp attempts to undertake for his own benefit blows up in his face. So I liked that the thing that gets him to pivot toward truly being a hero in the series is learning to love himself by seeing it in someone else, seeing the good qualities of himself reflected in someone else. Yep. Um, and I also think it, it's great that, you know, he finally, in you know, Owen Wilson gets that father figure he was always looking for, the guy who says, you know, I know I, I've seen every rotten thing you've ever done. I know the very worst things you're capable of. And you know what? I still believe in you. Yeah. Um, th those two factors, mm. uh, I think, are crucial to his character. But I love that. I love that. A guy who hates himself ends up falling in love with himself. It's deliberate. They, they've talked a lot, the writer and the director, about how this is a show about learning to love yourself. But yep. I just thought it was a brilliant way to, to make that both a metaphor and a literal <laughs> part of the plot. Yeah. And I, I love, I mean, that's what I think is great about any science fiction or fantasy kind of storytelling is that you get to tell, you get to do the metaphor. You get to tell the metaphor and you get to have embed like what you're really trying to say and do it in this big operatic way. And, and this is absolutely learning to accept and love yourself. Um, literally in the case of, yeah. of Loki. And that's, uh, that's great. I love it. Uh, where do we go from here? We did, you know, mention earlier that there is a second series. They're going to do a second season of Loki at some point. That's all that's been announced, but that was a surprise. It was the mid credits surprise at the end of the last episode was that there's more Loki, which is great. Cause 
I was like, what? Huh? That's the end? And then they're like, nope, that's not the end. So where where do we go from here? Um, I assume that, you know, Kang is in the Ant-Man movies and and that probably they're not going to necessarily have Loki pop up magically in a in a Marvel movie right away and say, ah, remember me from Loki? But, you know, I, I do feel like there's story to be told about Loki and Sylvie and Owen Wilson's character, Mobius, and and about uh about Hunter B15 and about Ravana Renslayer and like the the whole like what is the TVA now are they a are they a pawn in Kang's multiversal game like where do we where do you think we go from here with this uh with this season the season 2 give me the loki the office TVA okay save it time cop like, not a cop in the office time office yep okay yep yep i mean, that's what i want uh, i want to see ted loki where uh, a struggling trickster god and his uh, his mustachioed best friend must uh, coach a struggling soccer team full of Loki variants. Interesting. They go they go to the void and create the void uh, void FC. Yeah. I just plain want a, a one off Richard E. Grant as classic Loki miniseries mm-hmm. that is just that guy's timeline. Yeah. Yeah, whatever oh. whatever uh, or or the or all the the variants of the void yeah because yeah. It, it doesn't there's no no saying which loki it's going to be and that would be so and sneaky <laughs> slash the lo- the loki core and I, yeah. I i think not like the ramifications of the last episode are that they're no longer trimming the 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 timeline branches so theoretically all of the variants that were and more that were seen at the in the void at the end in episode five, like there are now characters like that that are just out there living their lives in their timelines, which right. means that Loki season two could really be a kind of you know parallel universe hopping, uh, you know again the episode one will make you think that they're going to do sliders in the MCU <laughs> and then, and then they'll get to M- episode two and they'll say, Oh no, no, we have a much better idea than that. And they'll go on from there. But like, I like being able to use the, the, whatever the, the TVA is now and how malevolent it may or may not be. And presumably Kang is running it now. Um, and, and having Loki have to navigate what the new status quo is there. Loki has to go get all of the other Lokis to have yeah. a monster Loki attack to take over the TVA and the final episode, final scene is all of the array of Lokis working in, you know, an office, mm. different styles of typewriters, different, you know, notebooks. And, and, you know, we've got alligator Loki hanging out in with his waterproof, you know, shower notes doing the, the, the direction of the timeline. Okay. That's best for the world. Yeah, I, I'm picturing Alligator Loki as kind of like the receptionist, yes. you know, help people out mm. kind of person. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's good. Eugene Cordero got a got a promotion. He's doing. Something. I just yeah. want I just want Jason's uh, have uh, previously pitched uh, Lockjaw on the Pet Avengers uh, animated <laughs> movie from Hayao Miyazaki to now feature Gator Loki. Sure. Alligator Loki's down in there. I want to see the deleted scenes where they had Chris Hemsworth record dialogue for Frog Thor. Come on, man. You can't hold that back. Uh, well, it, it's. Uh, I'm sure that they're going to have uh, some good, interesting ideas for that second season because this first season was uh, 
It was so good, and it was so good week to week. I'm also glad, I'll just say it, that go hand in hand with my praise of how every episode felt like its own thing is the fact that when you release an episode a week, you give everybody a chance to talk about that episode that was like that and then contrast it with the next one, and that's why I love the mm-hmm. weekly release schedule. So thanks to Disney Plus yep. for releasing this weekly. Felt good being able to do it in that way. And uh and they don't release previews of the next episode. They don't even release like synopsis text. You are completely in the dark and that only makes you speculate mm-hmm. yes. harder. Um, I'm also really excited to see the other television shows that come because they're leaning into the yes. weird and the creative and the taking chances, be- which if you had said, okay, so there's going to be a Marvel TV show that's, you know, very traditional Marvel. There's one about grief and a love story with taking place in different, you know, TV eras. Uh, and there's, you know, the time traveling, whatever Loki is. You would think, oh, the traditional Marvel one is going to be the one that everyone loves because that is they they've got that down to a science like let's do this and the fact that it wasn't i'm just i'm just so excited i'm so excited i can't wait yeah someone used the word formulaic um earlier and that's what marvel movies are to me now they're they have their tried and true formula the movie hits the beats and then you know you you go off and and live your life after that um WandaVision and Loki have really made me excited about the Marvel Cinematic Universe again and the Marvel TV shows because I was just like by the time we got to the I don't know 17th Avengers movie I was just like I kind of don't care anymore mm-hmm. I know I know yeah. what's gonna happen for the most part and yeah there are little things that that are gonna change here and there but it really it doesn't matter to me Black Widow I was not excited for because it was just like oh it's going to be another, you know, formulaic Marvel movie. And it's good. Like it, it's it's a good movie, but I I'm, I'm not excited about those movies like I am WandaVision, Loki and whatever comes next. Yeah. yeah. If you look at at what's on the schedule, um there's a Ms. Marvel series uh oh, so where Patricia K. Ali who wrote for this season of Loki is the showrunner. Um there's the Hawkeye series, which is based on uh, what Moises mentioned earlier, this classic uh, Hawkeye miniseries. And you think Hawkeye is really boring. It's like, oh, but that miniseries was so good. And it seems to be based uh, at least a bit on that. And that could potentially be really great. And then they have Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight following that up. And Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk following that up. Like, Ugh. there's a lot yep. of potential here for things that are, I mean, I am use Moonlight Knight as an example. Moon Knight is Marvel's Batman, but he dresses all in white, which is a serious laundry problem. And he, and he murders people. but And he kills people. <laughs> but, but the key about Moon Knight is Moon Knight has always been a multiple personalities character. And modern Moon Knight stories really are about mental health and mental illness. And uh, I can't see how that series won't be about that. And that's real. Again, it's like, how would they do that in a movie? How would they? How would they just drop him into one of the movies? Uh, it would that- be hard, right? <laughs> yes. So, so to see it, it on on this level, it's like, yeah, I could, I could actually can totally see that. Hawkeye, a movie about Hawkeye, 
fighting guys in tracksuits who are trying to do a, a shady real estate deal. While don't he, worry about it, bro. While he takes care of people in his building and 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 deals with his young charge, who's going to be the new Hawkeye. Like, okay, I'm not sure that would be as good a, as a movie as the as a TV show. And and so so yeah, I'm really I I, I wouldn't say as that I feel as as um kind of. I'm not, I'm not down on it, Aline, but like sort of feeling like the movies all have to like the movies do have to clear a bar. Otherwise, why are they a movie? Yeah. They want they need to make a lot, a lot of money, which means that there's certain levels of the formula that you don't mess with. And I think that Marvel's been good at trying different genres and making their movies weird and different. And that that um, the new Thor movie that Taika Waititi just wrapped is supposedly super weird. But, you know, in the end. They're also Look, there's an Eternals movie coming out yeah. this year, and that's still really weird. That's also very weird. But in the end, <laughs> they're trying to make money in the box office with those, and also it fits in that two hour format. And here you can get weirder, you can stretch it out over time, you can play little weird notes and then move on to something else. And uh, yeah, uh, like again, more like this, please. More like Loki. More like WandaVision. Um, looking forward to the 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 next stuff that's out there because. Uh, yep. As down as I was after Falcon and Winter Soldier, I am back up after Loki. Way back up. Yes. Um, all right. Loki. Let's hear it for Loki. Um, and we will uh, We'll obviously be back the next time there's a Marvel product that is, is placed before us. But until then, uh, we'll turn our attention to other things over the summer. Um, I would like to thank my guests for being here to talk about Loki with me on this episode. Kathy Campbell, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. Mm-hmm. Aline Sims, thank you. Thank you. Moises Chuyan, thank you. Read comics, read comics, read comics. Mm. And Nathan Alderman, thank you. Did uh, did anyone lose a Cosmic Cube? I kind of got stuck in one of the wheels <laughs> of my desk chair. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Bye.